I want to go back and touch on something that we already preached a little bit about, but I, I just feel like it's a moment that I feel like God wants us to maybe peel back another layer or two and see what God wants to do in our lives. Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. He came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I want to take my thought today from verse 3. And Moses said, I will now turn aside. I will now turn aside. I want to preach to you today, if you will, God will. You will. God will. Father, we open our hearts to you right now as best we know how. God, I'm asking you to speak by way of your Holy Ghost into every one of our hearts by the anointed Word of God. I'm asking you, God, to peel back every layer that would try to cover up and thwart the work of your Spirit and the work of your Holy Writ in our, uh, our hearing today. God, do a work that only you could fashion and do what only you could do by your power in this place in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. If you will, God will. We find Moses standing at the bush that is so often preached about. But more importantly than just a bush that catches his attention, we see Moses giving a response to what he sees. In our text, Moses is responding. God is used to getting a response. I'll go a step further. God requires a response. He expects a response when He speaks. Now, I don't dare to put myself on His level today. But can I draw a parallel just in my human example and experience? As a father, I was just speaking a moment ago, we had great kids. But I submit unto the hearing of mainly our parents right now. Your kids should respond when you speak to them. Amen. Either yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, or stop doing whatever foolish thing you're doing right now. We even got it to the point where I didn't feel like saying all that all the time. So I taught them that when I clear my throat or when I 
give a little snap and you hear that, I'm getting your attention on purpose. You say, well, that's a little bit much. Hey, work smarter, not harder. I didn't feel like walking around yelling all the time. I didn't feel like walking around being a micromanager of every little thing. So guess what? We taught them. When you hear, I know my son just looked up. When you hear this, that means I want your attention. I want a response from you that you hear my voice. Do you know God's much the same way? When He speaks, when He moves, when He acts, when He clears His throat, when He snaps His finger, He wants a response. He wants our attention. And too many times we go through life and everything else has our attention except for God. Let me just take a sidebar note here. Could God clear His throat and get your attention today? Or does He have to shout out of heaven? Could God snap His finger and just give you a wink and make eye contact with you? Seriously, to the point I was able to get my kids that if I could get their attention and get them to look at me, all I had to do was... That's fun. When you don't have to get on to your kids and yell and scream and beat them half to death, and right? If you can just go... Every parent's dream. I'm not saying it always worked that way, but we got pretty close. You know what? I'm just going to say, I want a relationship with my Heavenly Father where I don't have to be dangled over hell every time to straighten up, shape up, stop doing what I'm doing. I want Him to be able to slip a little verse in there that just says, "Mm -mm. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You don't want me to do that? I I won't do that. You want me to do that? Oh, I'm happy to do that. Just snap your finger and clear your throat, God. I'll respond to you. However He is talking to us, He wants a response though. He wants to know that what He thinks is important to us. He wants to know that what He does is a big deal to us. Amen. How does He know that? When we lift our hands and our voice and say, Thank you Lord for waking me up this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the strength in my legs to be able to walk into this room. I just talked with our good neighbor back here on the back side of the property and had a good talk the other day. And he said, Pastor, I just want you to know, I don't take any days for granted. He's getting a little bit up there in age. Amen. We don't have to wait to get old to realize that every day counts. You don't have to be laying in a hospital You don't have to have God shout at you to let you know that every minute counts. Can I tell you, even in 2020 or any other year, every Sunday counts when we come in here. Every worship service counts when we come in here. Every psalm, every hymn, every sermon, every prayer, they count. There are no gimmies. There are no tokens. They count. And it lets Him know you're... Most important. Because God expects a response. Do you know, since this all started, He's been getting a response. Even in creation, He used His spoken word 
in the beginning. And the atoms had to obey. He spoke in all space and time and matter came into existence. God spoke and He sent a cosmic wave through stellar hydrogen clouds and stars began to light up. Oh, all He said was, let there be light. And they responded. He's used to getting a response. He spoke and suddenly the darkness and the void covered the, that, that covered the face of the deep began to roll back and the land was separated from the sea and the skies from the land. He spoke and the sun and the moon were hung and night and day and seasons began all because He tilted the earth 23 and a half degrees on its axis and began an orbit, orbit around the, our star that would take 365 days. But He just spoke it and it obeyed. It responded. God is used to showing up and getting a response. When He speaks, things happen. And in this humble setting here today, in this house of worship, and in any setting where He is invited to become the centerpiece of our attention, I believe that He shows up and He expects to get a response. And it doesn't take a big crowd to do that. Matthew 18 and 20 says, For where two or three are gathered in my name. And this year we tried that out a few services. Huh, now I'm just meddling. Huh. And the same God. Keep moving, Pastor, keep moving. And the same God who spoke in the beginning says, I'm always in your midst. And He wants a response. And if we will respond to Him, guess what? He will respond to us. The Bible says in Psalms 22 and verse 3, He inhabits the praises of His people. When we get to talking about Him, praising Him, lifting Him up, He comes in and creates a habitation. That means He sets up camp. Amen. That means He's enthroned in our praise. He loves a response when we come together. How many know that there is no greater response to God than receiving His Spirit into our lives, receiving the Holy Ghost? That's the greatest response that you can surrender unto God and say, come into my life in a tangible, audible, real way. Amen? There's no greater feeling than having your sins forgiven in repentance. Anybody had your sins removed and you left them at an altar one day? Do you remember that day? Have you gotten over it yet? I'm not over having that feeling of, of that sin removed off of my life. And I don't ever want to be over it. There's no greater experience than having your sins washed away in a watery grave in the name of Jesus. There's no feeling like coming up out of the water, the Bible says, in a newness of life. Ha! There's no feeling like that. There's no greater gift that you could receive in this lifetime than the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. 
It's biblical. It's for you. And God wants to give it to you. There's no greater response that you could give Him than to receive those things. Amen. There's no high that you could get that tops those things. There's no rush you could go seek and find that would top that experience. There's no drug or experience that can give you the peace of mind or dull your mind enough to give you the high that the Holy Ghost can give you. And today I want to encourage you, if you've not repented of your sins, if you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've not received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, the Bible says it's for you. You can have it and you can have that response unto God and receive His very best. There's no greater way to respond to God than to receive His very best. Amen. I want to encourage you that if you've not experienced that, you can start a new life in Christ today. A fresh and a new. How many know only God can make you whole? Only God can satisfy that longing in your heart. How many know only God can give you the peace like a river? Amen? How many know that only Jesus, like the old hymn said, can satisfy your soul? Only He can change your heart. Amen. How many know that it's the gospel that is the power of salvation? What is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. And we experience the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection in what I just described. When you move into repentance, you are experiencing the death of Christ. You are dying out to your sins. When you move into water baptism, you are burying the old man. You are experiencing burial in Christ. And when you come up in a newness of life, you can and should receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is the power unto salvation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the gospel of Christ when you receive that experience in your life there is no greater response that you can give to God than that experience that's not the only one but I would argue that is the greatest of responses you can give unto God because every other uh, great experience in Christ comes through that initial response to him And it is receiving that Holy Ghost where we're given power to overcome sin. Did you know you can overcome sin in your life? You can overcome sin in your life. Not by your power. Not by positive mental attitude. And and not by uh, any action on your part. But the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Only through the Spirit can you overcome sin. Amen. And so... We need the Holy Ghost to live the life that God has called us to. To give the response that God is calling us to give unto Him. You need the Holy Ghost to do that. I need the Holy Ghost to do that. In order to walk in the anointing that He's called you to and the anointing that He's called me to, I have to walk in the Holy Ghost in order to fulfill those things. Uh, I'm talking about the Holy Ghost today. Colossians 1 and 27 says that the Holy Ghost is our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Anybody got hope in your life? You say, well, I'm struggling this year. That's okay. It never was about the year you were in. 
It never was about the conditions if they were just right. It's all about Him. It's all about what He does. That means you can be on the mountaintop and have hope. Or you can be in the valley or in the prison or, or whatever you're dealing with. You've got hope, church. But it's through the Holy Ghost. John 14 and 26 that says that the Holy Ghost is our comforter. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Anybody could use some comfort. Amen. He's our comforter, John 14 and 26. Romans 8 and 26 says that the Holy Ghost is our interceder. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as for uh, as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When you move into the Holy Ghost, it'll begin praying for you. Because you know what? The Holy Ghost in you is smarter than you'll ever be. That's why when you have the Holy Ghost, you'll be in moments where it'll... I'm not getting your attention, Landon. <laughs> when you're in the Holy Ghost... When you're in the Holy Ghost, you'll begin to be alerted in the Spirit. That's not you. That's the Spirit of God that is on high alert. And if you'll ever give in to that, you will be a walking dispenser of God's blessings to other people, of miracles and signs and wonders. If we would ever get comfortable with that feeling in the Holy Ghost and say, oh, what was that? What was that? What does God want to do right now? Oh, wait, I'm at, the, I'm at the gas station. I don't know why God does that to me all the time. I'm pumping gas and, and God wants to do something. He wants to speak to somebody. I don't know where it is for you. Maybe it's Walmart or, 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 or wherever you're at or, or at the fast food place or wherever you're at. But the Holy Ghost wants to put us on high alert. What is that? That's the Spirit of God looking for a response from us. The Holy Ghost in us should respond to God. Do you know the Holy Ghost is also a truth revealer? John 16 and 13. And when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth when that Spirit of truth has come. And I'm going to go one step further. The Holy Ghost also convicts us. I know we don't like that word. Conviction. Conviction. I didn't say condemnation. I didn't say that backhanded, weighted feeling of regret in your life. It's not what I'm talking about. That's from the enemy to condemn us and make us feel defeated and give up and feel like, oh, I'm one step too far from God ever using me. That's condemnation. Conviction will come in in the very same moment and say, I still love you. I still love you. I died for that. I died for number 500 of your mistakes. We're so busy putting a limit on what God can forgive. Stop it. He paid for it. He bought it. He forgave it. He wants to heal you. Stop putting a number on it. I know we're supposed to say don't abuse it, right? Of course you don't abuse love. But can I tell you, 
I'm going to get really transparent as your pastor. I'm not perfect. I wish I could tell you I am. I wish I could tell you that I don't ever make a mistake. I wish I could tell you that there's nothing that still needs to be repented of. And I'm not saying I'm out living a dual life and I'm doing whatever I want. I am saying, though, that every day I have to find a place to pray and say, God, would you heal me again? Would you forgive me again? And would you use me again? don't know that we ever outgrow the cross church I don't know that we ever outgrow repentance I'm not saying live in sin and then just repent of it but I am saying on our best day you and I are not good we're broken we're flawed we're sinful and if there is any goodness in us it is the work of the Holy Ghost But thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the work of His Spirit to do in our lives what we can't do for ourselves. Amen? So I say all that intentionally to promote the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. But I'm going to tell you One more thing. As powerful as the Holy Ghost is in our lives, there's something more powerful. You weren't ready for that. The Holy Ghost is not as powerful as the human will. Even Jesus in His earthly ministry cried and wept and say, Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But God, I've got a will that needs to submit to you. Not my will, but thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Oh God. Can I tell you, as much as what God wants to accomplish in this earth, as much as He wants to do through the church and through our lives, He is contending with every one of our free wills. And every day, our will can win. Paul said it, and I'll say it. We should speak in tongues. That is evidence of the Holy Ghost. Paul even said, I speak in tongues more than you all. Yes, tongues are a sign and evidence that the Holy Ghost is in us. But did you know tongues are not the only sign that the Holy Ghost is in us? And too many times, especially as Pentecostals, we get into that one evidence. Did you know, I would argue, yes, when the Holy Ghost shows up, you should expect to speak in tongues. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you should speak in tongues. The Bible says that. But every day I get up, I don't wake up speaking in tongues. You know what I have to do? I have to wake up and plant my feet on the floor. And I don't start talking in tongues. You know what I do? Okay, God. New day. Not my will. That's not very spiritual. You kidding me? That's the most spiritual thing that I could do at the beginning of a day. 
Amen. Oh, I can go into prayer and it'll lead me into tongues and I'll, I'll commune with the Lord and, and we'll have a, a great powwow. But the greatest thing that I can do is say, I submit my will unto you, God. And when we do that, if we will submit our will, God can do anything through us. Jesus had to submit His own earthly will to the working and accomplishment of the Holy Spirit working through Him. I mentioned it, Luke 22 and 42. Father, if, it be, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. Even Jesus had a human will that had to submit to the Spirit inside of Him in order to accomplish the full, complete will of the Father. Amen. Jesus, our model, our supreme example, said, I will do your will. That's your example. That's my example. Jesus said, I will obey. And that is tough words. That's a tough message to preach these days. I will submit to your will. I will obey. So I say all that to say, you think your response isn't important? It's not that important? Can I tell you, not responding is a response. Not responding to God is a response. Think my obedience isn't that important? Even in Jesus' ministry, throughout His earthly ministry, He would always check the heart of the recipient of the person that was about to receive the miracle. He didn't just want to bless them with a the feel-good. He wanted a markable miracle to happen in their life. So Jesus did use miracles, but He was doing something greater than just a physical healing. He always had a greater motive. Watch this. The lame man. Do you notice he had to obey Jesus' command? John chapter 5, verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool, troubled the water, and whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in and was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, verse 5, which had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had been there a long time in that case. And he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? What does he say? The impotent man answered and said, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise and take up your bed and walk. John the writer spends seven verses in this chapter giving us context and background to this man's condition and his life and his need for a miracle. And at first glance, we could easily miss the dynamic that Jesus is speaking to in his life. The man had laid there for 38 years and Jesus starts by asking him, Do you want to be made whole? 
That is the funniest question that I would think could be asked. 38 years being lame and Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? At first glance, I think that's ironic. But dig deeper, peel back the layer. Did you know some people get addicted to their drama? Some people get addicted to their pain and their problem and it becomes their identity. It becomes who they are. The pain is so familiar and they're out of touch with being healed that living in pain seems easier. I'll just cope. So at first glance, what seems like an ironic question is really Jesus saying, what do you really want? And I would ask that question here today. What do you really want? That might seem like a simple question, but it's a question we all have to really ask. What do we really want? And then Jesus gives him the tools. If you really want to be healed, do this. Take up your bed and walk. Again, simple phrase, but let's peel back the layer. His bed was his identity. His bed was his moneymaker. His bed was his uh, uh, ability to take in food for the day. If he picks up his bed, he now has to go do something else. He's better at being a lame man than anything else. He's better at being hurt than anything else. He's better at sitting still and never moving forward than anything else. But Jesus says, if you really want to be healed, pick up your bed and walk. Don't leave your identifiers laying around. If you really want God to heal you and move you forward, pick up your bed and say, we're starting a new chapter. Anybody ever been hurt in this room? Nobody? Thank you, sis. I saw one hand. Okay, a few now are getting honest. The rest of you, I want to talk to you after church and find out how you did it. I have been hurt in life. Not going to give you the drama, not going to give you the details. I know everybody in this room has been. It's how we deal with it. It's how we get through it. And if we're not careful, hurt can become your addiction. You say, no, I didn't do that to me. They did that to me. Somebody else did that. They did that. And we've got our identifiers of how it happened. Some of the best advice I ever got was, stop talking about it. If you've been hurt and injured, one of the worst things, now I'm not talking about getting through it and processing it. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about it though, is setting up camp, getting your mail delivered in the valley of hurt for the rest of your life. Ooh, I just felt something. And just then, and there's a door I'm going to go ahead and knock on 
Some of us have picked up our identity from the hurt that's been projected on us. And we don't know how to move forward into a life without that projection on us. Can I speak in the Holy Ghost right now? God wants you to move through that veil that you've been operating from a position of hurt. You'll never accomplish the will of God when you're coming from a bed of leprosy and lameness and hurt and inability. You have to pick up your bed and walk forward. The best advice I had gotten in the middle of one of my hurts was stop talking about it. Stop, in other words, stop dwelling on it. Stop living there. You're acting like there's no life beyond the hurt. And I'm not here to say that your hurt doesn't qualify words and that your hurt doesn't, isn't big enough to talk about. Obviously it is. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about, your hurt is never worth you not moving forward. That's what I'm talking about. And, and we can get so fixated on the past that now we're projecting what happened in the past into the future. And we wonder why God's not using us now. Well, guess what? You're still laying on your mat. You're still laying there lame. Get up, grab your bed, and say, God will do a new work life. This is a new day. There is joy in the morning. Yes, there were tears in the night, but joy comes in the morning. God will heal me and I will become something better. Pick up your bed and walk. Now I dare say that the first few steps of picking up his bed, he probably stumbled a little bit because he wasn't real good at it yet. Don't wait till you got it all under control. Pick up your bed and stumble your way forward. Whatever you got to do, but fail forward. Walk forward. Lean forward to what God wants to do. There are people that I have met in ministry that only know how to talk about the past. They only know how to talk about the past. What happened? What was done? What wasn't done? How that was wrong? How it should have been this way? I didn't deserve this. Okay, there's room for some dialogue. But when you live there and what you're still talking about is 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's time to pick up your bed and walk. God wants to do something in your future and you're, you're still laying on your mat. Guys, I, I did not plan on saying all this, but I feel led to say it. I told you a minute ago, I felt something in the Holy Ghost and so I'm going to knock on this door. Some of us are living with an identity that is antiquated. It's the past version of you. It's the old version of you. It's the version that happened, yes, but you're still living there and you're allowing the spirit to, uh, of that defeat to hold you and the spirit of that hurt to hold you. I'm not here to tell anybody that you shouldn't have ever hurt. I'm being real with you. I've felt hurt in my life. I know how it feels. It hurts. It hurts hurts <laughs> okay I'm going to make it real plain I just I told my family recently that I was really close now this is the A type in me 
I, and, and we've got a counselor sitting right over here. So I'm going to get really real right now. The A-type in me doesn't like to talk about things. Because if you give too much of a voice, then it's too real. And then I have to admit why I didn't process it right. And I have to admit why I was part of the problem. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. No, they did that. They did, right? That's what we like to talk about. We don't want to talk about what was my part in it. What, what, what did I do? Where did I fall short? Where wasn't I full of the Holy Ghost? This is not in my notes, church, but I feel led of the Holy Ghost. Some of us are operating from an antiquated version of you. It's time to download the new iOS system. It's time to get the new widgets. It's time to get the new things that you need to function. <laughs> All you Apple phone users just got what I said. Uh, download the new version. And start using them. Start having fun with it. I mean, these phones are crazy these days. How many cameras are on your phone? 14? Oh, three. Okay. <laughs> One's not enough anymore. Two's not enough. We need three cameras. Actually, I love the three cameras. Have you seen the pictures? Amazing. Incredible. So, but you know what? Speaking of that, the dimension that we can get out of those extra widgets and gadgets and things on these cameras and phones and what they can do is just amazing. And I'm still living with the flip phone <laughs> in my spirit life. Anybody with me? You're still... You're still on dial-up. <laughs> You're still on hammer and chisel and a stone, right? It's time to come forward. It's time to pick up your mat. And I'm not saying the mat didn't exist. I'm not saying that chapter didn't exist. I'm not saying we can't talk about it, but we got to move forward. 2020, we got to move forward. Don't get stuck. Move forward. And in your life, don't get stuck. Pick up your bed and walk. Do you want to be healed? Wow, really, Jesus? I mean, lame man, we all know the answer to that. No, we don't. Some people don't want to be healed. Sometimes I don't want to move forward because I don't want to change. But do you remember at the beginning of the message today, we get comfortable with that normalness of drama and pain and, and injury in our lives. We get used to that. But there's nothing normal about God. There's nothing normal about God. He's the guy who shows up and breathes words and things come into existence. There's nothing normal. And when he walks into the fog of our mess, he's like, oh, let me speak something right now. Let's, let's clear the air. Let me speak something. Would you let me heal you? No, God, I'm not ready to move forward quite yet. And he's like, oh, let me help you clear this. Let me, let me set you on a new road. If you will 
God will. And so I'm preaching to you today that the Holy Ghost is essential and it is amazing and it will revolutionize your life if you let it. I've seen some people be a jerk before getting the Holy Ghost. And then they get the Holy Ghost and they're still a jerk. That's because speaking in tongues doesn't make you nice. It's fun. I enjoy it. And I'm drawing closer to God in relationship. And there's such an intimacy of praying in the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you there's nothing like letting the Spirit of God wash over you. And you begin to just free your mind and your spirit. And you're just talking in tongues and praying in the Holy Ghost. There's nothing like it. But I can get up from that prayer and be terrible to my wife. Speak terrible to a co-worker. To walk out and... and Wave at somebody that cut me off. Right? Have I made it too plain today? It's time that we not just have a one-time experience in God and then wonder why why it didn't work. Because you got to get up tomorrow and do it again you got to get up tomorrow and plant your feet, not just talk in tongues, but say, I will let the Holy Ghost work in my life. I will do your will, not my own. It takes more than just talking in tongues. And I love talking in tongues. I believe in it. But God expects a response. And the appropriate response when you're being filled with the Holy Ghost is to speak in tongues. But the appropriate response to God when he says don't do that anymore it's not to talk in tongues it's to stop doing what he just told you to stop doing the correct response to God when he says I'm calling you to do this I want you to do this here's the word to back it up the the right response to that is not right we can do that too But the correct response when God says, do this, and here's my word to tell you to do it, the correct response is, do it. The reason why the Holy Ghost doesn't always work in our lives is because we get on one dimension with it. But if we will go deeper in the Holy Ghost, God will go deeper in working in our lives. So I'm bringing it full circle and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the runway. I promise. I'm coming in for a landing. Here's where I'm bringing this. Brother Jackson said, pray for notable miracles. The only way we're going to see a greater working of God is to clear the landscape and give him a greater platform. I cannot walk into his presence with this much space left in my life and say, God, do great things. I give you this much, God, do great things. I can't walk into his presence and be the same way I was 20 years ago. Do great things. 
No, God says, I'm going to do great things, but you've got to clear the landscape. You've got to get rid of some stuff. You've got to get rid of some idols. Oh, I'm meddling now. Oh, but I got some idols because we all do. We got things that would come in, cares of this life that would like to choke out the word and the spirit and the moving. Amen. So here's what I'm telling you. There are no great among us. We all have to bow our will to the working of the Holy Ghost and say, God, I want you to work in my life and I will give you more than just a sliver. The rich young ruler came to Jesus in Matthew 19. He says, yo, Jesus, I do all these things. Jesus says, well, what do you do? And he says, well, I keep this commandment and that commandment and this commandment and that commandment. Oh, he knew them. And boy, he probably had them in rhythmic rhyme. And he just spouted them off and see how good I am. This is what I do. And, and if we're not careful, we go through the rhythm and the rhyme of what we're good at. And then Jesus shows up with his serum of honesty and says, I need you to do the one thing you're not doing. What is that? And many times we think that God's against riches because of the answer he gave to the rich young ruler. Go and sell all your goods and give them to the poor and then come serve me. And we think that's scripture to say God's against anything, any possessions, any riches. That's not what he was doing. What Jesus was doing for this rich young ruler was identifying his idol. It was his idol. And Jesus says, I won't allow idols to be in your life and you serve me. So Jesus says, you lack one thing. What's that? Obedience. Obedience. Every Sunday, God is testing our response here. Our obedience. I want to be like David said, I will bless the Lord. Did you catch that? I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. And the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Psalms 34 and 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David is saying, I'm choosing what my response will be when I get into the presence of God. Because God still expects a response when he comes into the room. Just like on creation when he shows up and things start happening when he shows up, he wants a response. In Exodus chapter 12, it shows us that God makes a promise to his people that the death angel would visit each house to smite the Egyptians, the firstborn. But he said it would touch the Israelites as well unless you put the, the blood on the doorposts. Unless you... Obey me. Huh. 
obedience to God's word, then the angel would pass over and spare that house that would obey. And like the old hymn says, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over thee. Listen, keep obeying the word of God. Families, keep obeying the word of God. Keep responding to it. The miracle is going to come for you. But we have to keep obeying and responding to God. Jesus, in his final moments, before he ascends, he stands before a crowd that the Bible would tell us is about 500. And he commands them to go to Jerusalem and tarry there until endued endued with power from on high. And he's referring to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that I preached about a little while ago. That would come on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But of that 500 that he spoke to before his ascension, Acts 1 and 15 would tell us that only 120 showed up in the upper room that day. He told 500 to go, but 120 showed up. About one-fifth actually obeyed the words of Christ and were present that day. It does matter what our response is. When he speaks, he does expect a response. And while I regret that all 500 wasn't there, can I tell you, Acts could have read differently and said on the day of Pentecost there were 500 in the upper room and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't say that. It says that 120 were in the upper room. But the promise was still fulfilled but it was their response that limited what God could do. Acts 2 puts it this way, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible doesn't say there was only enough for 120. As many as were there were filled. They all were filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to speak with other tongues it does matter your response to the presence of God but I got good news for you if you will respond God will respond so for every life that did show up I hate that it was only 120 he told 500 it was only 120 but you know what let's not focus on who wasn't there let's focus on who was the point is Your response does matter. It does matter. You know what I'd like to think, and I have no book for this, but I'd love to think that the other 320 or 380, sorry, math's hard, 380 that weren't there were part of the 3,000 that were added. When they spilled out onto the streets, and some of them were like, these men are drunk. And Peter stands and says, these are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that, that the prophet Joel prophesied about, that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. 
And they'll prophesy and they'll see visions and dream dreams. And, and he goes on to say that this promise is not just for us. It's for all them that are afar off to everyone. I'd like to think that the other 380 caught wind of it and said, Man, I wish I'd have been there. And they got in on the 3,000. Or maybe in the 5,000 that led after that. I'd like to think they made it in. What are you saying today? Your response does matter. If you will, God will. Musicians, if you'd come. I'm preaching if you will, God will. All because of his response that day, Moses went from being burned out to a burning bush, life-changing, redirecting, purpose, destiny, killing, change in his life. He went from feeling defeated and overwhelmed and feeling like, what is his purpose? And I tried and it didn't work and I got it wrong and God will never use me to burning bush. I will turn aside and see what God wants to do. So I'm speaking to the Moses in this room that maybe you got it wrong on the first attempt. Maybe, maybe you weren't able to get it done the first time. Maybe you didn't do what you thought you would do on the first attempt. And maybe you're on attempt three or four or ten or fifty or whatever you're on. But I'm here to tell you, Moses, turn aside and see what God wants to do. It was the turning aside by Moses that led to the calling and the anointing falling. We don't get Moses leading them out of Egypt and we don't get Moses striking the water and the waters parting and we don't get Moses doing all these great things without Moses turning aside to see. Sometimes you've got to turn aside from some things in your life. And I'm going to go ahead and say it, even noble things. Even things you think are worthy. If they're pulling you away from your God and your relationship, turn aside and see what God wants to do. But this isn't wrong. But it is if God wants to speak to you. Anything is an idol if I let it take my focus off of God. Everything is an idol if I choose not to respond to my God and my King when He shows up. If you're here today and you need God to do something in your life, He will do it. I got a word for you. God is going to do it. You have to turn aside. That's my word to the church today. Turn aside. Whatever it is that's got your attention, press pause, turn aside, and say, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? What do you want to accomplish in my life? Press pause, stop it, turn away from it, and say, God, what do you want to do? Moses said, I will turn aside and see. Shall we stand? 
So my question for you today is, will you turn aside? Will you turn aside from whatever has your attention? Will you turn aside from the old version of you? Will you pick up your mat and walk? Will you pursue what God wants to do in your life? Will you turn aside from the fear of failure again? From the doubts that are screaming out in your mind right now and say, you tried this before. Can I speak to your heart today? Turn aside and see what God will do.